What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. This is Car Stuff. My name is Ben. And I'm Scott. And today, Scott, before we get started got a little anecdote for you. Oh, yeah? Yeah, if I may. Of course. So, uh, there I am, driving from Florida back to Atlanta, and I'm using my girlfriend's car. Okay. You know, uh, and she says, we're going a long way, turn on the cruise control. And I say, you know, thanks, but no thanks, I don't. Like, I get cruise control. I know it's personal preference, but I would rather be actively engaging with the road. I kind of don't trust cruise control. I understand. You know what I mean? And uh, she said, no, you know, it's better for the mileage. Uh, It's going to, you'll feel better, blah, blah, blah. And I said, look, you know, lady, this is not my first rodeo. You didn't say lady. I I hope not, Ben. I did say it. Did I did. It? Lady, I have a rock solid foot on this accelerator. <laughs> Back it down. I, I did say lady, but in a joking tone. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't in the outdoor dog house. Well, at least. not yet. Not yet, but the story goes on. Anyhow, we get to, on our way back, we get to this part where it's, uh, where, where the, uh, the lanes of the interstate narrow and, uh, there's, it's crowded. Right. Sure, bottleneck. It's a bottleneck, absolutely. And people are people are driving crazy. Uh you know, you've always got that one character who wants to tailgate everybody and not use turn signals to swerve back and forth right in front of tracker trailers and truckers. You guys listening, I know that you probably saw one of those people today and uh you're right. They're 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 bad, right? Yeah, that's right. And that's all just to get like two or three cars ahead. Right. And then yeah, and so I'm getting annoyed in the traffic, and then my girlfriend is saying, you know, you wouldn't be annoyed if you had had cruise control on. And I said, what? That doesn't make any sense. And she said, well, you know, because then you would, this would be the first time in like two and a half hours that you would have to worry about stopping and starting. And then I said, no, it's just the traffic jam. Stop. This, no. I. What a strange argument. What a weird argument. Yeah, yeah that is. Yeah, um, but it got, it got me thinking, um, about cruise control in general, because some people love it. Yeah. Some people hate it. 
and uh, they do so for different reasons. But it also brings us to like this episode is not just about car control, guys. This brings us to a much larger concept, which is how much do you want your car to do for you? Yeah, how how automated would you like your vehicle to be, really? You know, what, yeah. what do you want it to do for you that you normally do manually at this point? That's mm-hmm. uh, that's the point, right? Yeah, especially in this brave new world of future cars, right? Yeah, you know, I'll be honest with you, Ben. I don't think I've touched the cruise control button on my car for, I mean, five years. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, I just don't use it. And I think a lot of that has to do with the, the traffic situation. Uh, there's never a place where there's just enough road to, to be able to use cruise control. You know, in front of me, it's always it's always, you know, bumper to bumper traffic, you know, on the way to and from work. When we do take the, uh, you know, the, the road trips or whatever, um, it's still relatively, you know, um, relatively crowded on the roads. There's a lot of traffic in this area. Right. I mean, even getting to and from, you know, the, the, uh, the I guess the the county that Atlanta is in, it's mm-hmm. still crowded all around it. I mean, once you, and once you get out of that area then the roads become uh, mountainous almost, you know, like we're driving through the mountains. And sure. I don't know if cruise control is really the best uh, to be able to, you know, feature to use in the mountains because, you know, it just doesn't seem like a safe thing to do. I mean, you don't want to be going 80 all of the time right? Right. Know, through the mountains. That's not a good, not a good plan. Well, here's my deal. It feels like, and this is all a personal preference. I understand completely the objective advantages of cruise control. However, on a subjective note, it feels a lot less like driving and a lot more like I'm just steering. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get it. Now I can play a video game at home, You're Scott. Just, just along for the ride at that point. Yeah, okay. I'm just some, well, I'm just some j- j- uh, jamook with a wheel. <laughs> well, you know, we're talking about uh, automatic features and, and, you know, how automated you want things to be. And really, when we talk about cruise control, that's that's really not even... The, the the end all I guess of cruise control types because there's active cruise control you know or adaptive cruise control right right and that's really what we're talking about is you know systems that you know you can take it even one step further with you know like um you know like I guess an example would be automatic headlamps or or sure. climate control or you know we mentioned cruise control but what about automatic wipers that you know when it when it senses rain on the windshield they wipe your uh, wipe your windshield. Yeah. Uh, things like that. And there's more to it than just that, you know, just those three or four. But I wanted to point out those four because there's a blog post that I read recently, Ben, that, uh, this guy who wrote this blog post and it's, uh, it's from the No But Seriously blog. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's written by a guy named Chris out of Salt Lake City, Utah. And he was talking about, um, the one, the very ones I mentioned, you know, the automatic wipers, the headlamps and the cruise, the climate control. But then he also had a very scary situation pop up with, um, active cruise control. In a, in a rental vehicle. Right. And, yeah. uh, and that's kind of where we want to go with this is that, you know, there's some situations that can arise with these automated systems that you may not think about. Yeah, absolutely. No, we've got a little bit of an excerpt here, right? Yeah, that's right. If you, you like, if you like, I can just kind of read along here through his blog post and, and we can talk about it as we go. I would love a dramatic reading by right. Scott Benjamin. <laughs> well, what I'll do is I'll summarize the beginning part here because, <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a lead in and then there's the actual story I want to get to. Okay. Where the complications begin. Okay. All right. So, uh, the guy, the guy's talking and just again, this is from, uh, I think February. So it's pretty recent. Uh, but he says, my current ride has all the conveniences you'd expect nowadays, you know, auto lights, auto wipers, climate control, et cetera. But the longer I own the car, the less I find that I'm using all of these things. You know, I turned the auto lights, um, off on day one. And and fortunately, he says, the off position on my car is truly off, not like most of the Ford and GM products where the off switch means auto. 
you know, like the light switch is pretty much pointless at that point. And right. I think you've been in, maybe in a rental car that's done something like that. We don't, either you or I drive, um, drive the GM or Ford products, but, mm. uh, sorry, you do drive GM products, but it doesn't have auto lamps, right? Right. Uh, mine does. The Monte Carlo in that gen does no have kidding. the auto lamps. No kidding. So you, so, you dealt with this frustration then. Oh, uh, yeah. So yeah. the, uh, so I didn't know that, Ben. I didn't know it had auto lamps, but the, uh, the light switch is actually a pointless light switch then at that point, right? Yeah, it uh, it's not going to turn stuff off if it's after dark. That's crazy. So you turn it off, and they still work whenever the the it becomes dark enough for the uh, the lights to come back on, right? Yeah. Weird. All right. So, anyways, let's move past this. The uh, <laughs> so the auto wipers. It says it, you know took a lot of getting used to at that point, but he says I've I've actually turned those off at this point as well because they were trying kind of driving him crazy. You know, he knows when it's raining. You know, obviously it's not a difficult thing to switch on and off. So a lot of people feel that way. He does, however, use climate control because it's pretty nice to be able to set it at one temperature and just forget about it, which I can understand. Right, and that just affects driver comfort, mm-hmm. and that doesn't affect the road or mechanic. You know, it doesn't affect the actual drive until we're talking extremes of temperature. And he makes one really uh, one really um, astute uh, uh, comparison here, I think. He compares oh, yeah. this to his house. Yeah, yeah. And he says, okay, well, of course I turn the auto lights off and I turn the auto wipers off because my house doesn't turn the lights on when it gets dark uh-huh. and the windows don't clean themselves when it rains. But the climate control, I've got a thermostat that does the exact same thing in my house and I'm accustomed to that. I'm accustomed uh-huh. to the temperature being the same, whether it's warm or cold. You know, there's something automatically that takes care of that for me and I don't have to keep fidgeting with the dials in order to make it work. So that made perfect sense. Now, here we're getting to the part of the story where um, there's a little bit of trouble that happens. Now, he rented a car in the United Kingdom over Christmas, and the car had something called active cruise control. And this is in a luxury crossover vehicle called the Volvo XC60. And he says, and I'll... I'll, I'll um, you may I'll paraphrase sen- this. I'll censor this. Yeah. It scared the crap out of me uh, because <laughs> I... I its idea of what it called a safe following distance is way shorter than I'd like when I drive. And I'm not exactly known for leaving a large gap in front of the car in front of me, in, in the car in front of me, rather. But let's put it this way. I've never had a full-on panic attack in a car ever until I got into that rental car. So he's trying out this active um, active cruise control system. And right away, the thing is, is gauged or is, uh, is metered to give a, a safe following distance that is a lot tighter than he's normally accustomed to. Yeah, yeah, and he said, of course, just so just so we know, let's let's go ahead and tell people in case you don't know what adaptive cruise control is. Sure. Normal cruise control, you activate it and set it to a minimum speed, a minimum MPH. And so you set it to 55 or whatever, or most people would probably set it to like 5 over the speed limit. Mm-hmm. And and then you just cruise and it will maintain that speed. If you hit the accelerator, then it will up to, you know, it'll accelerate and wherever you stop it is where it's going to stay. If you push the brakes, it automatically turns off as a safety feature. Yeah. I mean, the brake thing is universal. I think that there's differences in the way that it accelerates. There's also something that you can push that uh, will up at five miles per hour at, a, at, a at an increment. Yeah, exactly right. So they're a little bit different in that way, but you're right, Ben, you can override it every time with the brake pedal. Right. And so with, active or adaptive cruise control you hear them called different names mm-hmm. right and a lot of times it's just it just depends upon the manufacturer of the vehicle but the concept at least for this Volvo is that the Volvo will 
sense the uh, cars in front of it, sense the the bodies, the the matter and space before it, and will adapt to that proactively. So without the driver's interference or participation, this Volvo will just follow along at the speed of the traffic flow, right? At the set distance that you have it programmed in for, right? At the set distance that it is programmed for, because it doesn't sound like this guy got to program it in the rental. It doesn't sound like it, and I thought that was something that you could kind of dial and, and adjust. But uh, but maybe not. I'm I sure mean, there's an ability to There, do there so. probably is. Maybe he wasn't aware of it. Maybe it doesn't exist in that vehicle. I don't know. Maybe there is just a, a one set safe following distance that they have. So it sounds like it sounds like what he's saying is that this Volvo was tailgating the crap out of people. That's what it does sound like. So, you know, he says that, you know, already I was a little bit nervous about it because of the safe following distance thing. Um, and he's also, he says, I'm deeply untrusting of this type of technology. Right. So he hovered his foot over the brake pedal. Uh, the entire time, you know, just to just to make sure that, you know, things don't go awry here quickly, because, you know, you, you, I guess it would be a little odd, you know, odd to um, see a car slow down in front of you and not have to do anything. You know, the first time you're accustomed to you or first time you're trying to use this type of system. So here's where the problem really begins. About an hour into the journey, we came across the usual traffic blockage and traffic slowed and the Volvo began to slow accordingly. So it's working the way it's supposed to go. Right. And he says, well, that's really clever, of course, and it worked fine. Uh, but the car started to shift in lanes, and the guy in front of me, he changed lanes too, but he, but I stayed where I was. And, you know, when you get into a line, I guess it makes no difference what line you're in. You're going to be stopping at some point, right? I mean, because there's, uh, there's a tie up there. So he says, then came my, uh, and I'll paraphrase this again, my old crap moment. Right. Uh, when the Volvo beeped at me and a little orange car symbol appeared on the dash, and he later found out that that meant, meant that the adaptive system had lost the car in front of the, of the oh, vehicle. Oh, yeah. So it didn't know what was happening. You know, it, it just, uh, the car had switched lanes abruptly. And then it got, it gone out of its sensing distance. Exactly right. right. And now there's a gap in front again, but you gotta remember there's also cars piled up in front of him that are coming to a stop quickly. So the Volvo, <laughs> at this point, you know, it lost the vehicle. Yeah. It begins to accelerate back to the pr- uh, the preset cruise speed, which could be big trouble, right? Yeah. Approaching a line of vehicles. So, you know, the red <laughs> the red following distance warning light comes on quickly, and the Volvo then swaps from accelerating to hard braking, and it brakes harder and harder until eventually he just decided to stop on the brake himself because he was utterly convinced that at that point he was going to have a guaranteed crash. That's how serious this was. So you got to picture this. I mean, they're driving yeah. along. Everything's fine. They start to slow down. Still fine. A little closer than he'd like. A little closer. The car moves out of the lane. The car, and you know, the Volvo says, there's lots of space. I'm going to yeah. just jut ahead here, you know, because there's clearly, there's open road ahead, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, the problem was then once it did sense another vehicle in front, it starts to brake extremely hard. So it's accelerating, braking harder, harder, harder. And then he finally gave up and took over manual I, control. I guess the, uh, the most... Wait, uh, let's keep our censorship theme going. Uh, the Volvo went ape crap and, uh, and warning beeps and alarms are going off across the dash. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it says it pit, they pitched violently forward mm-hmm. and, uh, all kinds of dash lights are coming on and, and yeah. it's a scary situation, right? And it's all in the space of three to four seconds because as we know, when an accident happens, it's unexpected, it's quickly and it all took less than three to four seconds. So, as we all know, when an accident occurs, things move so very quickly. Sometimes your perception of it, you may have an experience that time slows down or something, but that's inaccurate. And most people 
don't make good decisions, uh, but simply because they don't have time to. So this guy, this guy got pretty lucky and he mentions that he, uh, he's used to riding a motorcycle. So mm-hmm. he's not as easily shaken, perhaps. Yeah. He said something about, you know, adrenaline induced shakes that he was having after this because it, it happened so quickly and it was so jarring to him. And he said, you know, I don't, I don't scare easily. I, you know, because of this motor, you know, because of the motorcycle that I ride on, I'm, he says, I'm accustomed to being nearly killed all the time when I ride my bike, <laughs> you know, because drivers just don't see motorcycles. So they, you know, they get in front of me, knows what that shot of adrenaline feels like. Uh, and he doesn't get it all the time anymore because he just knows to expect it. He said, this situation really, really shook him. And, you know, it's not necessarily that, and, and the Volvo system was working the way it was supposed to. Right. It's just, it didn't have that, uh, that lead time like it should. Like maybe it, uh, maybe it needs a greater, uh, following distance, or maybe it was dialed out and he just didn't know it, or I, I don't know what's going on here, but, yeah. you know, it's a good point that, you know, th- this, this story, this blog here really points out that, you know, you can think that this thing is in control and it's, and everything's fine, but then suddenly something happens and, you know, it's an, it's a unique situation. Right. That throws it into a tailspin. Well, yeah, there, there are clearly some, some first responses that the engineers can make if they haven't already to increase the sophistication of that that automated system, mm-hmm. you know, as you said, a bigger sensory field, mm-hmm. um, somehow an awareness of the forest of cars instead of just the individual trees, yeah. right? Yeah, that's uh, that's got to be a much more advanced system. I imagine it's much more complicated. It may also require outside sensory stuff like, you know, um, Audi's automatic parking feature needs a parking deck with an infrastructure that speaks to the car, for lack of a better word. Sure, yeah. And, you know, the Google cars are, are working on something like this. You know, right. they're, they're very advanced as far as the way that they're able to monitor traffic far, far ahead. I wonder why that technology hasn't crept into some of the uh, the current, um, you know, the current vehicles that have these types of systems. But, again, these are the earlier versions of it. I mean, we'll, right, we'll probably yeah. see that creep into it eventually. Yeah, but, this could be just an early technology And we're, thing. we're not picking on Volvo by any means because there's a lot of cars that have this type of system and again, that was an unusual situation, and I can kind of understand how that would happen until it until it picks up that second vehicle in front of it. Why wouldn't it think that there's open road ahead? I'm telling you, man, I don't trust cruise control. I, it's <laughs> Skynet. You know, there's a lot of things that I don't trust as well, and I, I want to get to a short list of them as we as we right, move yeah. on here. But you know, let's let's mention a couple of other types of technology. And you know, I don't want to pick on adaptive cruise control either. No, uh, we spent a lot of time on cruise control. Yeah, there's more than that too. And do you remember? I just want to bring this up one what? one thing okay. here. Uh, another automated system that I, I mentioned a while back. I have a friend who drives a BMW, a newer one. That every time he gets into that car, it has the start-stop technology. Yeah. And he said, every time I get into that thing, he said, I hate the start-stop technology, and I couldn't get the car without it, so I had to have it. And he said, I just absolutely hate the system, and it's not anything about BMW. I just don't like the feeling of, you know, the car stopping at a, at a light. It's, a, it's you know, disconcerting. You know, it's, it's yeah. like, well, is it going to start again? And it always does. But every time he gets in, he pushes the button. I think you have to push and hold the button to shut it off. And he does that every time, and, when, and if he forgets it, it's like, you know, at the first light, the car stops again. The car, it seems like it dies. It, it dies again. And he's like, oh, jeez, I gotta set that. So he does it right then, you know, he turns it back on again. So, uh, yeah. So for our listeners who don't know what start and stop technology is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what that is is that, you know, at, at a stoplight or a stop sign or whatever, if you're going to be stopped for more than two seconds, you know, the engine shuts off, saves fuel, and then the engine picks back up again as you, as you press the accelerator. It's a lot like, uh, the old golf carts worked. Uh huh. Uh, in theory, 
a fantastic idea. But I can also see how it's annoying because uh, how embarrassing would it be if your brand new BMW actually breaks down at a light and you think, oh, it's just it's just starting and stopping. You know, it just seems like once <laughs> something's running, just let it run. Doesn't it seem like that? I mean, and and I have to make. I'll I'll be honest on my way home. I mean, as many times as I push in the clutch on my car and start and stop, you know, traffic on the way home, yeah. I must I must push the clutch in on my car. Ben, this is no exaggeration. Like three hundred times on my way home from work, and it's only about fifteen miles. It's a it's a short short drive, but it is so backed up with traffic on the way home in yeah. the evening that it's literally like 300 times that I'll push it. Maybe 3 to 400 times. Wow. It's a it's it, it hurts your left leg after a while. That makes sense cuz you're constantly having to switch speeds. Yeah, but imagine the engine having to start and stop that many times as well. Now there, that that seems like that would just lead to trouble. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously, it's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com/papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great. You see me too. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. There are, as we go through this episode, I think we should also point out that there are clear, objective pros to these automatic things. Some of it comes down to preference. I remember that um, my grandfather, when when they were trying to save money on gas, uh, he he apparently, one of his tricks was, this was in Tennessee, right? So there sure. were mountainous roads everywhere. Mm-hmm. If they were going somewhere where they would knew there would be a lot of mountains, once they got to the part of town where it's generally downhill, mm-hmm. they would turn, they would like turn the car off and oh, it would just go man. down. And this is before like locking, uh, locking oh, yeah. steering wheels. Oh, no, it's and, before uh, all of it. But, you know, no power brakes, nothing like that. No. 
That's crazy. Man, that's uh, that's dangerous. That's like a hypermyelin technique. It is. It is. Well, he's way ahead of his time. Uh, I'm just glad that uh, I somehow <laughs> was born. <laughs> you because, made it through that. Yeah, he, he clearly had some uh, priorities and safety wasn't one of them. You know, them. I've got a couple here that uh, there's some pros, I guess, if you want to hear a couple of yeah, pros. Yeah, some pros. Because uh, I, I feel like we're, we're being pretty negative about some we, of this stuff. We started kind of negative. Let me, let, me, let me list a couple of pros here. Now, it says, you know, there's, there's some uh, of this, like, modern crash avoidance type features that – um, you know, just don't simply have the, the stats to back them up yet. So like uh collision detection type stuff. Well, even the adaptive cruise control and uh, adaptive headlights and backup cameras and things like that, they don't have quite enough data to be able to say that we're really helping drivers at this point. But there are two exceptions to this. And systems that drivers that can help drivers to avoid front to rear end collisions, which we're talking about in, you know, the traffic situations like we've just mentioned. Right. Um the two that are really, really key to this are automatic braking systems. And adaptive headlights, of all things, Ben. Hmm. Adaptive headlights. Now, I wouldn't think that, but this is this comes from a guy named David Zuby, and he is the chief research officer at the Institute um, Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, or IIHS. Uh-huh. And he cites a study that comes from a report that comes from its sister organization called the Highway Loss Data Institute. And I guess that um, the uh, the research from this this study indicates that. Those two systems, those two features in particular, are definitely worth whatever extra cost they are on the vehicle. If you can get uh, a vehicle that has automatic braking and adaptive headlights, uh, apparently that will actually save you, um, you know, from not save you, but it will help prevent uh, front to rear end collisions. Well, let's I we can make a case for adaptive headlights. And I'll tell you I'll tell you why. Uh a surprising and somewhat disappointing amount of drivers forget to put their headlights on. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it, everybody has these unspoken rules of thumb. Every single driver has uh, some sort of set of commandments that they believe every other driver should know. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you are driving in the U.S., then the left lane is the faster lane mm-hmm. and it is for passing not Sunday strolls. Got it. And then uh, another idea would be um, the use of turn signals. Um, What's that? Well, I'm kidding. Yeah, right. You should always use a turn signal. I feel like some people are afraid that their cars come preloaded with a certain amount of turn signals (laughs) and they don't want to run out. Yeah, it seems that way, doesn't it? There's a joke in there somewhere. Um, But when it comes to the idea of headlights, a lot of people don't agree on when you should turn on your headlights. Well, sure. What if it's 1 p.m. and it's a little bit dark out because it's raining? Yeah, it's overcast all day and now it's started raining. Some people believe if there's any rain falling at all, you turn the headlights on. And I think that's, I think that's a pretty good rule to follow. But also some people say like, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to turn my headlights on until the sun is actually over the horizon. So it's actually dark. It's actually dark. Not, uh, not any, not a moment before that. I'm not going to turn them on, but, uh, but others say, I'm going to have mine on all day long because it's safety. Right. And insurance companies, some insurance companies give you a discount on your auto insurance if you have an adaptive you thing. Know, I'm going to, I'm going to talk later. I want to mention okay. something about, about daytime running lamps later okay. in, the, in the program. But, um, yeah, the thing is like with headlamps, like everybody's got their own little rules and, and, <laughs> but no one has any rules about like braking and things like that that we no. mentioned. So, you know, the one thing that I want to get back to here is yeah. that, that, you know, the on this list from the um, the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, there's a couple of eight. Well, there's eight different safety features that you can consider on new vehicles, and I'm not going to list all of them, but two in particular I wanted to point out here. These two work together. 
um, the forward collision avoidance system, which is kind of what we were talking about with the adaptive cruise control, right? Yeah. That, that's yes. similar. Um, you know, that's where, you know, uh, like anything that will alert drivers, I guess, or give them a, a visual or auditory cue that something is approaching too quickly, you know, towards the front of your vehicle or you're approaching too quickly towards the back of their vehicle. However right. You want to put yeah. It. Um, and then autonomous braking, you know, cause these two work together. So, you know, something that the driver doesn't have to do. If you, if the driver doesn't respond to the warning from the forward collision avoidance system, then the autonomous braking kicks in. And I guess, you know, that these two systems together, when they combine, uh, you know, that, that makes a, a pretty solid system. The way they work together, you know, the, the collision avoidance system with the autonomous braking. If you're in a traffic situation, you know, where, you know, the adaptive cruise control is kind of doing something that's kind of squirrely, um, you know, this is like another backup. And then I guess the other one would be, hey, pay attention. You know, that's the thing, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, that's kind of what we're getting to is that, you know, um, I've got a whole list here, Ben, and I, I kind of want to read this if, if you don't mind. It's, it's mm-hmm. maybe more on the negative side, though. I don't know. Uh, I tell you what, before we do, let me tell you something that I do love What's about that? cars. What's that? I love the ability to be able to listen to the radio, especially, you know, I've been, I've been breaking some Ben Bolin. Uh, rules of thumb and going on vacations like wild man and stuff. You're getting all over the place. I'm getting, I'm getting around and, uh, I mean, in a good way. It's a family show. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, one of, one of the things I'm finding is that the radio can be so repetitive. I love NPR. I love hearing good stories. Uh, you are on the forefront of audiobooks nowadays. I am because, you know, the, uh, the radio stations fade as you drive out of town, right? Right. <laughs> exactly right. And then you just never know if you're going to be able to pick anything up. And I'd mm-hmm. like to listen to something continuously. And yeah. Just know that it's going to be there. And, and it's nice to be able to start and stop something. You know, when you make stops around town or if you, you know, if you're, on a long road trip, you can yeah. pull into the gas station, get back in, and pick up the story exactly where you left off. Love it. Love that about audiobooks. Now, here's a good one. It's called The Limit. Life and Death on the 1961 Grand Prix Circuit. Oh, and, okay. Uh, this is a good one. It's from Michael Cannell, and it's eight hours and 18 minutes, so not exceedingly long, but not sure. short either. Yeah. You know, reasonable road trip book. And let's give you a quick summary. Lay it on uh, me, brother. It's pretty interesting. All right, this is about Phil Hill, who was, uh, as they say, a lowly California mechanic who, defying all expectations, became the first American to win the Grand Prix Championship in 1961. And this high-octane narrative evokes the lives of daredevils who tempted fate each Sunday by driving well over 150 miles per hour without the benefit of seatbelts or roll bars in their cars. Now, I don't know if you remember or you've ever seen Formula One footage from this time, but uh-huh. it's so weird. These guys have, like, tiny little bench seat. Yeah. I mean, a single seat bench seat. Yeah. They climb in and they're sitting up way high in the car with no roll bar around them or anything. No seatbelt. They just grab the wheel and go. It's amazing. It's really, uh, it's, an, it's unbelievable that that's the way it was even in the early 1960s. Now, it's written with the pacing of a novel and the limit puts Hill against his Ferrari teammate, German Count Wolfgang von Trips, as they jockey for the top spot around the 1961 season culminating in one of the deadliest races in Grand Prix history, and we talked about this specific we did, race. yeah. Now, do you remember when we talked about racing at Monza? Mm-hmm. Um, is it letting anything out of the bag? Should I, should I tell them what happens at Monza? Uh, go ahead and say it. All yeah. right, I'll say it because, um, you know, the whole book leads up to this. I'm not really giving anything away. It's history. Yeah. Uh, there were a total of three driver, driver deaths in the year of 1961, so it was already a, a pretty bad year for, for Formula 1 drivers. But the final race was the most deadly 
when Von Tripps collided with Jim Clark at Monza, and, he, and it killed the Ferrari driver and 14 spectators. Yep, it hit the crowds. It's amazing. I mean, you can see footage of that event happening. It's yeah. terrifying to see. But all right, Ben. So I think this is a book that uh, that our listeners are going to find interesting. I mean, it's just loaded with racing, racing history, and and it's all about the 1961 Formula One uh, season and everything around it. You know, the mm. uh, the behind the scenes activity. Phil Hill, of course, interesting story. Wolfgang von Trips is a real name. Yeah, that's amazing. Which yeah, is still the most incredible part of that that's story. A, that's a cool name. Uh, and there's some good news about not just this story, but Every audiobook offered by Audible.com. Just for knowing uh, your buddies over here at Car Stuff, you can go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash car stuff. Sign up for a free audiobook download of your choice. And that is no that is no uh, wooden nickel kind of offer because no, no, no. audiobooks can be a little bit pricey, yeah. especially the longer ones. Some of these can be up in the $30 range. So um, this is a pretty good deal. I don't know exactly what this one is valued at, but... You know, learning about the, uh, the 1961, you know, season, I think is worth, uh, you know, just signing up, right? And yes, absolutely. And here is an interesting segue into this for our episode. Uh, because, you know, when radios first started becoming commonplace on cars, there were concerns that radios would increase car accidents. Too distracting, right? Yeah, too I mean, distracting. It's, it's probably it's funny to think, but like maybe the radio, maybe radios had kind of the uh, the stigma, I guess, associated yeah. with them as uh, as cell phones do now. Right. You know, what are you doing? Texting. You're you're trying to listen to bluegrass and you're going 17 miles an hour, you monster. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. What are you? You're out of control out there on the roads. I can see it. <laughs> You're driving like a Welshman, you fool. <laughs> That's right. So I've, I've got a, a short list of things, and I, I mean, I, I hate the way that I sound when I read these, Ben. But I'm going to sound like a like an angry old man, I guess. Okay, um, this is the get off my lawn part of our I podcast. I guess so, and I'm going to skip around on this list a little bit because you know th- this is something I found a, a, a list called the uh, you know from something called the Intelligent Car Flagship Initiative. Where you know they're talking about all the different automated systems and you know how great they are and you know everything, oh, yeah. all the benefits for them. But I got oh, kind of like my oh, own boy. little spin on them, I guess. And you know, there's, <laughs> there's maybe eight or you know so that I want to talk about here. There's a huge list. Okay, man. and I'll quickly go through them. How about this? All right, all right. Go so for it. adaptive cruise control. We've already talked about that one, and you know some of the the pitfalls in that system, right? Yeah. All right. Well, what about automatic parking? I mean. I guess there's no need to learn how to parallel park anymore. Is that right? <laughs> I mean, is that true? Now you're talking specifically about those parallel parking assistants. I, I am. I'm not talking about the Audi system where it lets you out at the curb and then it, it parks itself. Yeah. I'm not talking about that one because I think that one's kind of neat. I really. You're talking about the one that will just park you along the street. Yeah. Like you get, you know, you find a spot and you, you, you get in a kind of a ready position, I guess. Yeah, you that's just push interesting. push a button and then it's hands off and then you're done, right? See, but, I like the convenience, but you raise a very good point that people who grow up in a world where every car can do that are going to be, are really going to suck at parallel parking. It's going to be a lost skill. Huh. Yeah, okay. I think I think that's true. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm not wrong. I hope that I hope I'm not I hope I'm not right. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. 
But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> because uh, I hope I'm not right with that one, because I, I mean, I, I hope that it's still a skill that's being taught. It feels like it'll always be, it feels like for a long time that that feature will be remain prohibitively expensive i guess so. all right yeah. well how about blind spot monitoring i mean you know wh- why bother checking your mirrors anymore i mean if it's just going to tell you that someone's there why bother and i already see this on the roads yeah i already yeah. see people just not even looking you know but i think that's been around since the beginning of time before there were blind spot monitoring systems obviously there have been you know collisions caused because someone was in their blind spot now scott let's make a deal as you say these i'm gonna i'm gonna put in my two cents sometimes i'll agree with you sometimes not sometimes i'll have another idea because what i've always wanted for a very long time is a way to communicate with other drivers just in like text signs that pop up in my window i'd love some smart windows on my car like uh for the people who seem to fall in love with my blind spot. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I know the Monte Carlo looks great from that angle, you know, but <laughs> is, that, is that what they're doing? They're I don't know, car? man. I don't know why they're doing it. But I'm sure they are. It's always like a Honda Odyssey, you know, just of course. staying there in the back. And, um, and it's tough to navigate around somebody in your blind spot. So I'd love a window message that could pop up and it would say either speed up or slow down would you know stop jogging with me mm-hmm. we're not friends all right uh and a blind spot monitor um i i could see it being useful for larger vehicles i know it's better to have than not have but people should be checking their mirrors i totally agree so i will listen to your uh, your opposing okay. viewpoints okay you know, whether they're valid or not then <laughs> all right all right Fair enough. Everybody wants smart windows. <laughs> Everybody enough. wants smart windows. Fair enough. How about uh, how about distance control assist? 
Now, this is something that Nissan has developed, I think. And um, again, I mean, is this something that people can't monitor on their own? They can't they can't modulate the speed enough to, to stay a safe distance? Because I see this on the road every day. Someone is, you know, four feet from my bumper when we're going 75 miles per hour. Right, yeah. And, you know, then there's the opposite of that, someone that, that leaves so much space that people just continually cut in and it, and it leads to like them just going slower and slower and then yeah. it backs up everybody behind them. So, um, I can see this a couple of different ways, but, um, if you have this drive, you know, this distance control assist and you're, I almost see it as a way for people to stop paying attention to what's in front of them because it will monitor both ways. You know, it'll say like you're, you know, there's a lot of distance, go ahead and go. Mm-hmm. It'll say something's coming up, you know, back it down. So this is almost like the uh, the green light to go ahead and uh, you know kick your feet up, fix your eye makeup, or do whatever you're doing, yeah. or text or something, right? Uh huh. And not and really, but how you know. how does War and Peace end? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, catch up on your reading. Yeah, uh, I'll. You okay. see what I mean, Ben? It I see what you mean, so, but makes me seem grumpy when I read this. But but honestly, you know, there's so much that's being taken away from the driver at this. Just point. just be honest. In the path of uh, the path of autos in the future is going to trend increasingly toward autonomous vehicles, this kind of stuff. But, but I will say um, that kind of distance control is only really useful if everybody has it. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess so. So, so just one car having it is nice, but let's be honest in a traffic jam, what happens when we've got, you know, like a tailgater who's afraid they're going to run out of turn signals um, we all know the type. You and I will see several of them on the way home today. Mm-hmm. Um, what if they are running bumper to bumper, almost kissing bumpers with uh, someone who has this distance control, right? And so that computer says, okay, you have to speed up. Yeah. And it's got to be freaking the system out. You know? uh, yeah. and then, But there's nowhere for it to go because yeah. there's another car in front of yeah, it. Yeah, I don't know. Would it work that way? Would it tell it to speed up if there's something behind it? Or, I mean, I don't would know there what be the, gridlock? Yeah. I just don't know what the system would do. It's a strange, Anyhow, what's next? Strange conundrum, Ben. Yeah. All right. Um, I'll see a couple of these I'm going to skip. We, we talked about lane departure warning systems before. I mean, I guess that's something else. But that kind of goes along with the distance control assist and the blind spot monitoring and all that. You know, if it's going to tell you all this stuff, then what's the point of even really paying attention? You can only pay like, you could pay like 70% attention, Ben, and just uh, and get by on that, right? Well, if you want a good Instagram photo, you have to give your full attention to your phone. <laughs> that's a good point. Right? <laughs> good point. Full attention. That's right. What about um, advanced automatic collision notification systems like so like OnStar? Now, I'm going to say that I actually like this one. This is one that if you crash... Um, it notifies first responders. Exactly. They contact you immediately and say, like, is everything okay? Do we need to call anybody? If they don't get any response... They call somebody. This is one automatic system that I actually am, am I'm firmly behind this one. If you don't have to call 911 or no one outside of the vehicle has to witness the accident, even if you're alone on some, you know, desolate right. stretch of highway right. and you hit a tree. And you're somehow incapacitated and you can't call. Yeah, you're knocked out. They know exactly where you are and they know that you need help because you haven't responded to, to their, to their calls yet. So I think that's a good one. Yeah, actually, that's pretty cool. I actually do like that one. Um, I don't know. Driver monitoring systems, I guess, you know, if the driver's drowsy, I mean, okay. I guess so, you know, you don't have to. What do you, what do you think about, um, what do you think about like mandatory, um, breathalyzer things in cars? Oh, um, oh, mandatory? You know, like you, like every, every car made after 2015 or something has a monitoring system that checks the driver's level of alertness, um, if they're intoxicated, 
you know, like on, I, I guess on booze, but on other drugs as I, well. I don't like mandatory anything. Mm-hmm. Nothing mandatory. I mean, if you, if you elect to have that or if you somehow require that by the, let's, right. say, the, let's say the courts require you to yeah, have yeah, that, yeah, yeah. understood, then it's in there. I mean, that's your, that's your own thing that you have to deal with. I mean, that's something right. that you're, yeah, it's your penalty, I guess. But you don't think it should be, you don't think that kind of observation of a driver. I don't want, I don't want that done. to be something that has to come in every new vehicle. You know, if I buy a new car, I don't mm-hmm. want to have to, to submit myself to a breathalyzer test every time I get in the car. Even though I know that I'm not drinking or, or whatever the drug is that it right. tests for, uh, I just don't I don't like mandatory anything. You have to take a, a heroin test that's every right. time, just in case. Yeah, that's not straight. I mean, yeah, where's it where's it going? Where's the end? Right. Right. Where where what's the bottom of the slippery slope? Now, let me tell you, Ben. I think I think you know you get the point that I'm I'm a little bit disturbed by the way that and it, we we've talked about this for years now. Yeah. By the amount of control that is being taken away from drivers, it seems like every year there's a, a new system that comes out. We've mentioned a few of those, and some of these are, are what you call automatic, and some aren't really automatic. I think mm-hmm. the the focus of the blog post that we originally started with was that you know what what was formerly a manual control system right is now automatic in a lot of cars, and and it's kind of progressing to the point where. A lot of things are becoming automatic in vehicles that that you formerly had to control yourself. And I don't have anything in my car that's automatic. The, the closest I've got is my rear defroster that turns off after five minutes after I push the button. That's it. The rest of it, you know, cruise control maybe, but it's not adaptive cruise control, so I can turn it on or off when I want it. Yeah. And I still have to monitor it. I still do you, have to. Uh, you roll your windows down. Uh, how do you roll your windows down? <laughs> I roll them down. Um, Electrically, yes. Ben. Oh, look at you! But that's not automatic. They don't, you know. I don't get in, and it's it, the car doesn't say it's eighty six degrees. Right. Oh, you yeah. know what? We're in Atlanta. I don't get in the car, and it says it's one hundred and eighty degrees <laughs> in here. Um, I'm going to decide to roll the the uh, the windows down sure. for you. It doesn't do that, but I wonder if there is a car that does that. Maybe that's part of the climate control system. It lets out the hot air before it shuts the windows itself. Perhaps. Maybe. Perhaps that's something I haven't I haven't read about. Um, I think you know I. I think we need to add one important part of that blog post was the implication that this technology, while it exists, is still very much in the early stages. Mm-hmm. So one of the primary operational differences between an automated tailgate avoidance system or collision avoidance system and a human doing it is that the automated system only has a finite or discrete number of variables upon which it can act. So if a situation happens or a variable that it does not understand is introduced, then it's going to uh, behave in uh, possibly very dangerous ways. So it's not a truly intelligent system yet, and that's what I'm sure our friends at Tech Stuff talk about this all the time. Right, yeah. The uh, What's that called? Um, Artificial intelligence. You know, I'm sure that our friends over at Tech Stuff talk about this all the time. You know, the artificial intelligence, and, and as far as the way it's being put into cars that's kind of our thing so we talk about that occasionally right yeah um you know we've we've mentioned a few of these and they just haven't quite gotten there yet on all of them i know the google, google car that we mentioned earlier i'm still in trouble saying that <laughs> google car is uh is uh you know that's working on it and it's getting there and uh, it's one of those things that ben i just i almost have to see it to believe it really mm-hmm. to understand that it's truly a safe system and that you know you can you can truly go hands-free with this thing and let it work well i you know, I'm less opposed to the idea of autonomous vehicles uh, than than you are on a personal level. However, I'm more skeptical about some of the timeline stuff. 
you know, because self-driving cars are going to be more widespread than flying cars. Flying cars, you've won that, you've won that discussion, my friend, because it's fairly apparent that flying cars are just too dangerous to come out. And the only way they could is if they were somehow autonomous flying cars, if people were hitching rides on drones. Oh boy. Essentially, that's the, that's the only way it could happen. I almost just passed out. I know, right I now. saw that yeah, eye roll, take close. your, I'm, take your head back. I'm beginning know. to get hives right now. <laughs> but, but look, but think about it. That's the, that's probably the only way that that kind of situation could ever occur. However, autonomous vehicles, um, these adaptive or automated features are increasingly prized by insurance companies and by, um, and they're increasingly being touted as superior to human abilities by car manufacturers. However, I don't know how much of that actually shakes out yet. You know what I mean? I don't know how many of these things are more safe. Well, you know, the, as far as the uh, Insurance Institute for Highway Safety says, only two, only two are worth the uh, worth the extra money, and that was the um, adaptive headlights, the right? adaptive headlights, and, and uh, automatic a- braking, ABS, and uh, those are the only two that they have, you know, concrete numbers backing up that you know they save a front to rear collision with. Yeah. So far, the rest of them just don't have the dead end. Now, Ben, I'd, I'd like to take us back for just one minute because there's an early example of. Um, you know, an automated system that still causes a, a little bit of a uh, little bit of trouble here and there. What's that? And this is daytime running lights. And oh you would, yeah. You wouldn't necessarily think of this as being a big deal, but there's there's people that really oppose daytime running lamps. And I'll tell you, I'm not all that crazy about them myself. And there's a good reason. If you if you just hang in there, I'll tell you why. I'm in. There's a there's a um, a business called the National Motorist Association. It's in, it's in Wanakee, Wisconsin, which is near Madison, Wisconsin. If you're mm-hmm. keeping track of that kind of thing, <laughs> and um, you know, we've got eight. There's an article here that says eight reasons to oppose daytime running lamps, and you know what these are, right? I mean, it's the headlamps that are on all through the day. Mm-hmm. At, sometimes they're at a diminished, um, you know, capacity. I guess that you know they're running right. at like. I don't know if it's like 80% or if it's 60% or whatever it is. But they're always on. If the car's on, they are on. Exactly right. And you'll see this in some, uh, some of the, the last generation of Corvettes too, where it's like, you know, the, it's not just the, the headlamps. It's sometimes it's the, um, I guess the, the parking lamps, you know, yeah. the, the orange lamps. And it's yep. just something to, to, um, that's on that garners attention, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there's eight reasons and I'll quickly laundry list these, but the last one is actually the one that I want to get to because it's the one that bugs me the most. All right. All right. The eight reasons, and I'm not going to expand on these. Um, they increase visual glare. They obscure the directional signal lights, which, oh yeah, I get that one totally. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, especially during the daylight. Yeah. Uh, they increase visual clutter, which means, uh, you know, they can be distracting if there's, uh, you know, some normal traffic flow. I guess they can be distracting. Uh, they mask other roadway users. Yep. They reduce the uh, conspicuity of motorcycles. Mm-hmm. They distort distance perception. They reduce emergency vehicle visibility. And the last one, Ben, this is the one that, that gets me. And, and tell me if you've seen this before, because I think everybody has had this frustration. All right. They can discourage motorists from using standard lights. Yes. Now, yep. the, the problem is, now, if you're not familiar with this, now, you have seen this, right? You understand yep. what I'm saying. Yep. All right. Now, the degree of forward lighting that that uh, the DRLs or daytime running lamps require they they provide, I should say, is less than 
a standard headlight, right? Yeah, it's a diminished, uh, it's a diminished capacity. However, they're still on and they do provide some type of forward lamp, right? Right. So when these things are on all day long and you're driving, let's say you're driving through the, the time period when it's daylight and into darkness. So you're driving during twilight, dusk or dawn. Exactly right. Or, you could be in your garage and you turn on the car and you see the headlamps on the and the wall in front of you and you Anything back out. Like, good to go. Yeah, everything's fine, right? Because yeah. you can still see the instruments inside. I believe the instruments are still lit. Um, and that's part of the problem as well. But when this happens, you know, in, in these low visibility situations, low light situations, and they forget to turn the lights on fully, you know, to actually make the switch over from right. daytime running to actual headlamps. If they still have to do it themselves. The, that the, is. the taillights are not illuminated. Yeah. So you're driving around with, with what, you know, you, you approach a vehicle from behind on the highway and it looks like they don't have their lights on. But as you get to the front of them, you realize that the headlamps are on. And then you have to think, okay, well, this is what's going on. It's, it's daytime running lamps. They, they don't know it because the headlamps are on. They're getting some type of visibility to the front of the vehicle, but they have no idea that they have no taillights right now. And the only time you'll see a taillight is when they hit the brakes. Another, another time when this kind of stuff comes up is, uh, when we we were talking about adaptive headlights, mm-hmm. um, I I've noticed before that adaptive headlights are very easy for drivers to become acclimated mm-hmm. with. Uh, so it always bugs me when I see somebody driving around at night without their headlights on. And if you live in a city, I understand that it can be easier for some people to forget it. Yeah, because you come out of a well lit area. Right, but it's dare I say glaringly obvious uh, when somebody is doesn't have their lights on. So I would almost always rather the it, like if you can't remember to turn on a light when it's dark, I'm not sure if you should be driving. Ah, uh, but see then But I think the the light should always always be there, but it sounds like what we're talking about again is an early adopter thing because you're right, Scott, there should not be daytime running lights that are not also adaptive lights if you're teaching a driver that that light's always going to be on uh then you being the engineer the manufacturer should also just do the decent thing and not expect them to have to remember normal driving decisions half of the every 24 hours this is the thing you just become acclimated to the idea that those lights are on all right. the time right like kids today uh don't know very many phone numbers well that's true because of cell phones i think i've forgotten a lot of phone numbers over the years i mean i, I yeah. i'll be honest i mean my cell phone store, stores them all i've become a little bit lazy about it and i think that's right. the way i think that's exactly what happens with this as well but the danger is that the tail lamps in and I don't yes. know if this is true of all vehicles now, because maybe they've adjusted some of them, but early on, and you'll still see these cars on the road, because I encounter them all the time. Yeah. Cars that do have the headlamps on, the taillights are out. And it's not just a matter of, you know, that uh, there's a fuse blown or something like that, mm-hmm. or the lamp's out. I mean, I guess it could be, but it, it's it's far too prevalent, you know, for, for that to be the case. I mean, I, and I know when daytime running lines, lights initially were around when they first mm-hmm. came out you know it's kind mm-hmm. of a new thing uh that was a that was a big problem people talked about that specific thing is that you know people are driving around with their you know their 50 percent headlamps on and it's very dim but it's it's working they can still see they don't realize that you know they're not at full power one. right they don't realize that if they're practically invisible from behind at night a lot of people especially if they're not if they are not personally interested if they don't take an interest in cars yeah uh they just make ridiculous assumptions you know i've i've seen i've seen before people who 
have assumed that if their car has a problem, they don't drive it for a while and they drive it later, that the problem will go away, that will somehow it's gonna fix itself. get better, you know, like a sick mm-hmm. kid or something. But then also it seems, it seems clear, clear and shamefully easy for, uh, people who don't investigate too much about their vehicle to just assume that's how lights are supposed to work. I guess so. I mean, the point here is that, you know, it increases the probability of a rear end collision. Absolutely. And I, I think it's dangerous, but it's maybe not the case with all brand new vehicles because I'm, I'm assuming that they've, you know, adjusted this, fixed this now at this right. point. You know, there's got to be a, a warning light or something or a chime or something that tells them, turn on your standard headlights. Yeah. I would hope. Just something like that. I would hope. I mean, it seems like with all the other systems we talked about, that's not something that's out of the realm of possibility. No, that's completely reasonable. Yeah. And or and or something that, you know, make sure that, you know, when the the daytime running lights are on, that there's also a bit of taillight as well. Even if it's a reduced amount, at least there's Mm -hmm. something back there. Because right now, I mean, like I said, I've come up on cars on the highway before awful fast. Yeah. And then before you realize that, you know, they're, they're even there because they have no taillights on. Yeah. No, and then it's a matte black car. Yeah. On a moonless night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Worst it's case. true. It's stuff, it's stuff to see some of that stuff, you know. Um, a moonshiner. It's That's a moonshiner. A, yeah. No chrome at all. It's a moonshiner. He's still a Kennedy though. Intentionally no lights. <laughs> um, all right. So one other automated system I'd like to mention just as we close. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit debatable, Scott. You ready? Ready. GPS. GPS is automated? Well, GPS will, if you tell it where you're going, then it automatically tells you directions. It doesn't take control of the car, but you and I, being old, older gentlemen now, distinguished gentlemen of a certain age, uh, we both remember the days when GPS would come out with, like they had the Tomahawk product. You remember yeah. that was one of the first ones? Sure. And the maps weren't always up to date and people would follow what the GPS told them to do, even if it was driving into a driveway or a wall or over a bridge. We've heard crazy stories about that. People drive into a lake because the the GPS told them to go straight at that point, right? I mean, talk about authority issues. You know what I mean? It's really weird, isn't it? You can find news stories about stuff like that happening, whether they're Mm. anecdotal or they're true. I'm not Mm. sure exactly if if some of them are, are made up or not. Sounds like... Some of them have to be. They were just so ridiculous. Well, yeah, there has to be some sensationalism, but the uh, couple that I looked into did did hold out and really? were true. I mean, like yeah. the people that turn right and yet it takes them into a coffee shop, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, I don't, I don't understand right. how I've, that's possible. Collisions. Yeah, yeah. Things yeah, like that. read about collisions. Well, yeah. um, I, I just want to point out that I think, although it's maybe not directly related to what we're talking about, I think that is just as, if not more dangerous, because it's combining the worst aspects of a human being with some of the worst aspects of a machine. Mm-hmm. So I, I, my nomination for, for worst driver, worst potential driver is usually going to involve somebody who is just steering for their GPS. They just blindly follow the GPS. Oh yeah, especially in like a especially in a crowded city, especially in a new city. You ever city. pull out the old road atlas anymore, Ben? You ever yeah. uh, look at oh, the yeah. old paper atlas? I do. Yeah. I do too. Yeah. I've got, yeah, I've got a uh, a giant atlas that I sometimes look at, you know, just at home usually. I don't take it with me on the road anymore. I used to. Yeah. But uh, I don't anymore and I've got a I've got an older GPS system that also stays in the, you know, in the, in the closet. I, I rarely use it unless I'm going on a long, long trip and, uh, you know, I feel 
a little more comfortable having that. But right. uh, mostly that's for, honestly, that's for points of interest around the roads. Yeah, and also um, depending on what kind of atlas you have, uh, you may be able to find a faster route than what the GPS will indicate you take. That's true. That's so true. that's that's kind of why I do it. But that may not always be the case because, as we have said, we are talking about a very strange transitional period. Um, and, and it is quite possible that in the coming decade, this stuff improves dramatically. But, Scott, I think there are always going to be people who want to drive their own cars, don't you? I really do, yeah. I think uh, I think there's definitely a a firm push back against this type of technology mm-hmm. as well from the other side. You know, people, some people really, really love it and want all of this, you know, instituted immediately if they could. Right. And others that say, you know, you can hold off on all that. I don't even want traction control. I yeah. don't want power brakes. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't want power steering. Just, uh, just give me a, uh, just a raw car and I want that. Right. I don't want, uh, an enclosed cabin. I feel <laughs> like that's, that's too restrictive. Exactly right. Yeah. Just give me an engine on a chassis. Mm-hmm. And maybe yeah. a folding chair. I'll find some wheels. That's right. <laughs> uh, okay, so which side of this debate do you fall on? Uh, do you think that these adaptive automated technologies at this point um, are, are show real potential, or do you think they're real problematic? Uh, we'd like to hear from you, and uh, one of the best ways to reach us is on Facebook or Twitter. As a matter of fact, Scott, um, next time we do some listener mail, we ran a little long on this one. Next time we do some listener mail, uh, let's just do it all from Twitter. Sounds good. And if you want to be on the air, just hit us up uh, with request for a shout-out, idea for a topic, or just a comment. We are CarStuffHSW, and you can send us an email directly after you check out our website, CarStuffShow.com. Go and tell us some new topics we should cover in the future. Our address is carstuff at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.